doesn't make any sense, right? Yay. All right. We're live. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Everybody doing good? Yes. Yes. Happy Sunday. Um, so last week, we talked about the Trinity, what the Trinity is not, was kind of the big theme of the day. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, I would definitely, we recorded it, so um, I don't know if it's posted or not, but um, it is It is recorded and the notes are, um, on, will be up somewhere. I don't, I need to, I don't know where they put them, but <laughs> hopefully on the website somewhere. Um, and today we're going to go to start talking about, try to get, get into a little bit more detail of like, then what is the Trinity? Like, how can we talk about the Trinity? And we're going to kind of focus on two different aspects. Um, this is, uh, it's easier to talk about what the Trinity isn't than what the Trinity is. So I'm going to, and we should do this every time, and I haven't done it the first time. So let's pray really quick and ask for the Lord's help in this. Um, Father, thank you for just the time that we have to to consider you, and we know that although you are beyond comprehension because we are not you, um, you have revealed yourself to us in ways that help us to know you. And I pray that as we grow in knowing you, that we would grow in our love for you and our our trust and our faith would deepen. So I just pray that you'd reveal yourself in this time, Spirit. Would you uh, empower uh, these conversations and anything that is from you may it be may it be imprinted on our own hearts and anything that is not from you uh, would it be just forgotten so thank you lord for your love it's in jesus name we pray amen. amen all right so the big question that everybody's trying to figure out um, and what all those heretics were trying to explain was how father son and holy spirit can be Three persons and yet one God. Um, Arius, if you remember, decided that he was going to say, well, in order to really explain this, I'm just going to say that the sun, there was a time where the sun was not. And he was a created being who was maybe created before the world, but he was at one point created. And as a result, um, he is lesser than God the Father, and the Spirit would be in the same light as the Son in terms of not uh, not there for all eternity, but at some point created, because he, he had a couple issues. One, remember, he had the begotten and the firstborn. He's like, those are created words, thus that means there is some sort of creation happening. Um, and he also had a problem with God becoming man. And God, for example, going to the bathroom. He did not like the idea that God would come and go to the bathroom. That seemed to him unholy and thus not something that God could do. Um, and what we talked about was, uh, one, the, the words begotten and firstborn, um, although they are created words to us, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can uh, say that they are absolutely created words for God. Um, and we'll talk about what begotten means more in this eternal sense. Um, but also that God becoming man, humbling himself to the point of becoming man, is actually a really, like, that is even more amazing than a God who wouldn't choose to do that, right? Um, and so uh, 
Arius was saying that that can't happen, so Jesus can't be God. But we see that it's actually even more amazing and that the fact that God did come and dwell in flesh uh, is a... Um, is better for us for our salvation, but also like that's a God that we want to praise, right? Um, and then the other side of the coin is modalism, which is that there is no distinction between these three, and that is that the Father is the Father, like He's God is the Father in the Old Testament and prior to Jesus coming, and then when Jesus comes, He shapeshifts from the Father to the Son, and then once Jesus, you know, ascends then the spirit comes, and then now God is spirit. So he's not all three at the same time. He's just shape-shifting, kind of like if you think of a water molecule, can shift from a solid to a liquid to a gas, but it's not all three at the same time. And so um, that's how, that's modalism, and modalism is trying to essentially say that this is, they were trying to maintain God's oneness. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, their understanding was that God had to be a shapeshifter. And Arius on the other side was like, well, God is, like, Jesus is created, so that's, that was his way of understanding it. And so we know that neither of those things are true. It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere where God, it's clear that there are distinctions between the three persons, and yet it's clear that they are one. And so with the Nicene Creed, which is the kind of statement of faith of the church, um, kind of coined this word that we now use a lot, um, when describing this, and that is the word homoousius. <laughs> in the early church, sorry. What, what, in, in Latin, I'll, I'll, I'll explain this. Yes, yes. So, homoousius, homo means the same in Latin, and ousius means substance. <laughs> sorry used a lot in the early church and described in, like for us, it's just translated to be of the same essence or the same substance. God is not, he, like the three persons are not different natures. They are of one nature, and yet they are distinct persons. And so homoousius describes same substance. They are of one essence that makes them one, but they are distinct persons. And so homoousius is what the early church used when they used Latin, and now we just say God is of one essence. And that is kind of their way of trying to explain how they're, they're, they still have some person, specific personhood uh, that makes them distinct, but they are one in nature, which means that it is one God. And now we're going we're gonna to try to, today, understand what these distinctions are between Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're going to first talk about God in the eternal sense, in that what, how, how do these distinctions show up in his imminent life, in his life outside of creation, or of all eternity, right? And then we're going to talk about where these distinctions show up in his economic life or in his the way that God relates to creation. Does that make sense? Okay. The eternal sense is much more difficult, but we're going to try our best. Now, um, what we talked about the first week is that, um, so we're going we're to go into these distinguishes. Uh, we're going to be on 
understanding distinctions of God's imminent life, which is that first subheading. Um, the first week we talked about how Father, Son, and Spirit are all equally God. They're all fully God. And the only thing that distinguishes them in their imminent life is how they relate to one another. So the Father begets the Son. The Son does not beget the Father. So there's some distinction there between Father and Son, but it is some sort of begetting. The Father and the Son, um, the Holy Spirit is proceeded from both the Father and the Son. The Father does not proceed from the Holy Spirit. The Son does not proceed from the Holy Spirit. So we're going to first talk about this relationship between Father and Son and see how see where we see it in um, Scripture and what it tells us about the distinctions between the two. So relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The Father is Father eternally. He is not Father just because he or just in creation by sending a son. Like this relationship, father to son, like that exists apart from creation as well. That's existed since the beginning of time. Um, we can see this. Uh, I'm not going to, this is referenced in Romans 11.36 and Ephesians 4.6, for example, if you want to actually look at that. But we, we see God the Father as the eternal, unbegotten fountain of all life. So unbegotten means that he does not come forth from anything. He is just, just is. Always has been, always will be. He just is. And from him, we see that the son comes from the father, but the father himself is not in any way coming forth from anything else. He just is. And he is that eternally. The son is the Son also eternally, not just within creation. And he is the eternal begotten, the only begotten Son of God. So what we see here is from the Father comes the Son. And this is, we call this an eternal generation between the Father and the Son. The Son is somehow generated from the Father. Now, remember, we can't talk about that as a creation. It's not, a, it's not some sort of creating, and it's not some sort of subordination. He's not lesser than being than the Father. So we're going to try to under, unpack this eternal generation because it is. it sounds to us as if the Son is somehow like being made from the Father or he is somehow less than the Father, like he is the light from the Son, kind of thing if we think of light comes from the sun but the light isn't the same substance or essence as the sun that's a subordination because the light is an effect of the sun um, in the same way here it can be easy to think well father the sun comes from the father in some way so they have to either be two completely different individuals or two completely different natures and scripture is clear that that's not the case so we need to try to understand what that means so uh Let's try. Um, so in the Nicene Creed, um, they say that Jesus is very God of very God or true God from true God. So he is not, uh, although he comes from the Father, he is not in any way less than the Father. He is fully God. There is no when 
when we consider his eternal generation. There's not a point where he starts to eternally generate from the Father. He always has eternally generated from the Father, and he always will eternally generate from the Father. It's not like at one point he was he started coming forth from the Father. Does that make sense? There's not like a point in time where like, okay, now as the Father, I'm going to start generating the Son. That that's not what's happening. It's he's always existed. This generation has always existed and always will exist. The eternal generation is not a division of nature, like we talked. So it's not that God is dividing himself up into two different beings, Father and Son. It is not that because the Father is generating something, there is now two gods. He's not, you can't, if there's, what's happening here is God is one essence, one substance. And for us, when we think of, if I'm going to generate or something's going to come from me, I'm creating another essence. And in this case, that's not true. And I'm going to, there's a couple people who try to uh, describe this in a little bit of detail. It's, it, this is something like, I, people like Wayne Grudem and all these like theologians that we know, like talk about this and say, this is what it is, but you're not going to fully understand it. They don't fully understand it. Um, however, this is, so we're just trying to, like, we know that these things are true, even if we can't fully, like, understand what that actually means. But we know that it has to be, there's no division of God's nature when the Son is being generated from the Father. There's no multiplication. There's no priority or inferiority. So the Son, even though he's being generated from the Father, is not some way less than the Father. And there's no change between the Father and the Son in terms of who God is. God doesn't change somehow as a result of uh, this generation. The scripture uses some metaphors to describe what the eternal generation is. So for example, the Son is truth, or the Son as truth. We think of the Word, God, like the Son is the Word, and the Word, or truth, God didn't at some point not have truth with him, right? Truth's always been there. That would be really weird if God didn't have truth at some point. He didn't decide, like, one day I'm going to make up truth, right? Like, the sun has always been there. The sun has the radiance of God. Now, radiance, just in and of itself, could think, again, we think of, like, a light kind of coming forth. But this is one way that Scripture used to describe the sun in distinction to the Father, is he's some sort of radiance from the Father. He is the image of God. And he is the wisdom of God. So all of these things, these are all ways that scripture tries to, or shows us as a metaphor to describe some distinction between father and son, and yet what this eternal generation might look like. Now, all of these things point to, uh, there's, for example, Jonathan Edwards as an 18th century theologian. Um, and he tried to describe it as, well, think of God and what, like, God himself, like, we know he is, you know, without, like, he's outside of time, he doesn't, he's incorporeal, which means he doesn't have a, like, he's beyond just having a body, right? He is, somehow, he's spirit, he exists 
in a far greater way than we do is just like having these bodies that are limited to time and space, right? So God isn't like that. But when the Father thinks of himself, he sees Jesus. And because he thinks of himself in such a perfect way, he's so perfect, like the act, there's actually another person that he sees. And that's Jesus. Now, this is really hard to, again, this is Jonathan Edwards trying to, in human words, explain something that we cannot un- actually understand. So just know that this isn't like, gospel. this is just somebody trying to understand what this actually looks like. But he's saying that because he's, God can consider himself so perfectly and think of himself, he, like, there, there is, like, Jesus is what he sees in himself, like, when he thinks of himself. And because it's so perfect, because his thought of himself is so perfect, Jesus is the exact imprint of himself. And he's not creating some nature, he's thinking of himself, and there he is. And so there's no difference in in nature. There, it's still one God, but he, when he considers it, like it's so perfect that he sees Jesus, and that's what Jesus is. And so, what's interesting is like a lot of people will say, well, Jesus, like bodily, when we see him, like that is like he is the exact imprint of God. Now that doesn't mean that God is like that body Jesus, like he we see on Earth, right? But that is some reflection of like who who he is outside of time and space and all that good stuff. Really difficult to understand. And trust me, I've tried to understand this for a really long time. And I'm there are people who've tried to just understand it for way longer than I have. And they still can't quite explain it. But the sun is somehow, in this eternal generation or eternal begetting, we see him as some exact imprint of the Father. And it's so perfect that it doesn't divide their nature. It's not some sort of added on nature or substance. It's not some sort of second God. It is such a perfect imprint, such a united imprint that it it's still one and yet two. Yes? Why why choose like the word the son hmm. to like be an exact representation of a father? Like does that make sense? Why mm-hmm. was that like chosen? Mm. The same existence. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I. I mean, it's to some degree, yes, there is some sort of like language thing, but also like the father and the son. There's some sort of, um, and we'll see this more when we talk about God's economic life and how he relate, how he's distinguished economically. Uh, or like how he relates to creation, um, there's it hints at something that there is something that distinguish the father and the sons is some way of us understanding how there is a distinction between two persons within the Trinity. So it there needs to be another term. For yeah. It because in some sort of way, it does manifest itself differently to us. Yes. But okay, so we yeah. need two different terms for that. Correct. Yes. And so it was chosen the Son. Yeah. And it's still human understanding. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. We're trying to put them in a box yeah. that the, you know, the scriptures were, were written in very you know, patriarchal mm-hmm. society. And so in terms of 
you know, lordship even amongst humans, like the father and the son, mm -hmm. there was a, you know, uh, a distinction there mm -hmm. of as the son, in the many cases, could speak for the father because yeah. of that yeah. father-son relationship. So yeah. I, I, I would think that that is part of why mm -hmm. the son, that yeah. word, that, that type of relationship yeah. is just so, so that we could somehow understand it. Yeah. Um, taking in consideration context of when these were written. Right, right, right. And like that, those words are words that Jesus himself uses, right? So it's not like we decided to make up this Father, Son, Holy Spirit relation. Like Jesus says, like, I am one with the Father, yeah. right? I, like, God sent his beloved Son, right? And those are words directly out of Jesus' mouth. And so he's talking about that that language is somehow distinguishing the two of them. Yeah. Um, but they're they are still one, united in essence. And that's something that we as humans, because the only process of like creating or generating means that another substance comes from whatever is being created. That is not the case with the Father. And that is... Right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's because... God exists outside of, like, right, he's exist, he exists for eternity. And there's something, like, unique about that in allowing God to be able to be this. Yeah. Whereas it, it can't physically manifest itself on earth. Does that make sense? It's, it's a great question. Mm, yeah. Yes. Who we are in Christ. Because of who we are in Christ, we have this great inheritance. Yes. Yes, yes. And right. Right. And we think of like so the word firstborn when Colossians is not meant to be some sort of like he's actually like born of God in some like physical way, but that he has all the rights that a firstborn would have. Yes, and exactly exactly. Yes. Exactly. And yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. So. I have a question about yeah. metaphors. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we finished covering those. Oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. Um, but when it says that the sun is referred to as wisdom, I've heard that before too. Mm -hmm. One question I have though mm -hmm. is that in Proverbs it refers to wisdom as female. Yeah. She is obviously male. And right. so, how does that work? So, there. First Corinthians. So Paul talks about the concept wisdom whereas so within the female analogy of wisdom that is just an analogy but it's not in uh it's not to actually describe god himself so much as just like what wisdom is to like us as it relates to us whereas wisdom itself like just like god talks about like the son is truth is like of God. So it's not in relation to us, but it's talking about wisdom in relation to God himself. So wisdom as an analogy for us in understanding wisdom, like however is there's the female analogy is used, but it's not used um, to describe who God is. It's just used to describe like how, help us to understand what wisdom might be. Does that help? No, but <laughs> um, I think that yeah. I might just struggle with 
Yeah. Concept, so what I would what I'd recommend is going and looking at First Corinthians one twenty two to twenty four, and then Proverbs eight, and you're going to see like Proverbs eight describes all these characteristics that are attributed to Jesus. Actually, oh, did you? Okay. So, yeah. So, the the way wisdom is talked about with Proverbs is it's like this analogy of a female. It's just to help us understand what wisdom means, as opposed to describing who God is with like like the Son Himself is wisdom, but when it's describing like the characteristics of wisdom. It's using a female analogy. And sometimes when they describe the characteristics of God, we yeah. use female, like, yes. like a mother to the... Yeah. yeah. Right, because, like, God... that This gets into, like, <laughs> gender and, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, hi, like, yes, God came as male, but, like, both men and women were created in the image of God, right? And so, like, there, there is, like, some, uh, like, both men and women equally... Like, display who God is in his image, like, like in the world, right? And so that, that means that God must not just have male characteristics, but also female characteristics, right? But um, it, I, that specifically, at least those who have understood Jesus to be wisdom in this, which there is a little bit of disagreement on this one. So this is what we've kind of come to understand. Um, like our church, our kind of denomination, um, and so they've kind of come to understand that the son as wisdom, like that's what, like the son is actually wisdom, and that Proverbs is, when it's talking about a female analogy, um, is more so helping us to just understand what the characteristics of wisdom are, as opposed to like specifically like naming like God is like somehow like describing some sort of like male female characteristics of God, which isn't necessarily what like how we can even describe God in some ways, right? Does that make sense? Cool. Good question, though. So one question that kind of comes up a lot is, um, is the son eternally subordinate to the father? And this was a question that was brought up last week. Um, we see Jesus submitting to God the father. He's like, not my will, but thy will be done, right, in the garden. He's like, if, if, it, if you can take this cup away from me, but... Not my will, but thy will be done. There seems to be some sort of submission going on, as if the fa- as if the son somehow is submitting to the father. In some, and people are trying. They're looking at that and saying, like, well, is that applying to God in eternal, in an, in an eternal sense, and not just like a, you know, economic, you know, in creation sense. And there's actually a ton of disagreement to this day in evangelicalism about this concept. Wayne Grudem uh, actually believes that there is some sort of eternal, functional subordination between the Father and the Son. Not subordination in the sense that the Son is a lesser being, but that the Father has, like the the Father has some sort of special authority over the Son. And the Son and the Father have some sort of special authority over the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, this is a debate that's happening right now that I, it's, I'm more explaining what it is than me being able to say if they're right or wrong, because I don't know. However, um, what, so this, what they're looking, what, 
EFS is what they everyone calls it, the EFSers. Um, what they are seeing is it's not a, the distinguishment between Father, Son, and Spirit is not in terms of their relations to one another, but in terms of authority and submission to one another. So the Father has some sort of special authority over the Son that the Son doesn't have over the Father. The Father and the Son have some sort of special authority over the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have that authority over the Father. Um, if you want to read more about this, you'll see there's some like uh, things that I you you can try. Uh, I I have a hard time understanding, but there's there's a few things that I can kind of kind of share to help you kind of understand what it specifically means. So what eternal functional subordinationism is saying is that God has some sort of personal property, the Father some property about him that allows him to have this authority over the Son and the Spirit. The Son has some sort of personal property or uh, some sort of, it's um, another word for personal property, uh, like specific role, I guess would be another way of kind of saying like that there's some sort of like role going on here of the Father's role is to have authority over the Son and the Spirit. The Son's role is to have is to submit to the Father and have authority over the Spirit. And the Spirit's role is to have is to submit to both the Father and the Son. You get nothing. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. And this is this is specifically the reason the reason that they talk about this or EFSers talk about this in etern like in an eternal sense is they they're using it. Yeah, it is a bad word. <laughs> um, they think that like it they have. Um, they specifically point it to like something like marriage, where there's like a submission between like husband and wife, and that doesn't mean that they're any less. They're not like the wife isn't less than the father, or like the husband. Oh gosh, not the father. The wife isn't less than the husband, or anything. But they, it's like the complementarianism view of marriage lends towards there's some sort of submissiveness going on, and so they can apply that to. God in an eternal sense is kind of what their uh, some distinguishment there. That makes some sense, um, right? It's like they are one, but they have different functions. Yes. Like yeah. This is yeah. one whole being, but they function right. Like how they relate to us. Right, and how they relate to us. But so the thing is, those we're talking about two different things. We're talking about how does God relate to Himself apart from us, and how does He relate to us, like to Himself with us, and so. The, you're, you're seeing here that the eternal functional subordinationism people are trying to apply something that they see in God's relation to us and applying that to his eternal life. To a certain extent, we think that there, there is, because the Father didn't die on the cross, nor did mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and the Son could not have been raised if it were not for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, and so there is very distinct roles mm -hmm. within the Trinity as they relate to each other, because mm -hmm. dying was part of God's divine 
plan for redemption and mm -hmm. raising from the dead was God's divine plan for redemption. Right. But it took the individuals within the Trinity to complete God's plan. But what you're talking about is us, within though. creation. We're talking yeah. about outside yeah. of creation. And just like Do they still have right. those, yeah. that hierarchy yeah. happening yeah. outside of how they relate to us? I would stop them. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm an EFSer. <laughs> I, mean, I guess to a certain extent, I would, I would think yes. Because it, in terms of how they after reveal, creation. Or like before creation. Before they still need some yeah. That's well, what we're talking about. Sure. Um, well, was there a submission happening? Prior to there ever being a Milky Way, so I guess uh, yeah, those, those are those are <laughs> questions that we can ask, answer. Yeah, or can we ask. answer right? Yeah. Um, after, all we can do is see what what does Scripture <coughs> say about God right. and the Trinity right. and, and and what God has done, what right. we have visibly been able to see Him right. do, right. and those actions have all been accomplished by individuals within right. the Trinity, right. within the single God. Right. So with what we can surmise from, what is taught from the Bible, and what we have seen God actually do mm -hmm. individually as one means that God is, that that's, I mean, yeah, but I definitely they have those natures because of us. Like, did they kind of have those specific roles because of us, but those specific no. roles no, because don't we, relate. God does not need us. Right. The scripture even speaks about oh, right. God does not need us right. to give himself glory. All that he is is glorious in mm -hmm. and of itself, but mm -hmm. for his pleasure he created us mm -hmm. and is now redeeming us mm -hmm. for his pleasure. Right. right? And so my point, I guess, is it it, it would seem strange for him to then change himself in a way to accomplish what, in terms of redemption, of man. Well, and he's unchangeable. Right. So he's, yeah, right. Exactly right. So if he is this way, in terms of the, the um, story of redemption, mm -hmm. that there are distinct roles within the Trinity to accomplish that, mm -hmm. if that he has never changed, he has always been that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Now we're, well, we're, however, when we look at how he relates to creation, just because the sun is doing something, that doesn't mean that that's apart from God, the father or God, the spirit in the sense that like they are, it's one divine will and the father and the spirit are somehow like in the background, right. even when one person is acting. And so the, the question is, so the thing that the problem with the ES or EFSers understanding of the subordination is it seems to be that now there's three wills within the eternal Godhead because there's the son's will is to submit to the father and have authority over the spirit. The, the spirit's will is to submit to both father and son. All of creation is meant to glorify God. Right. And and the redemption of man is meant to glorify God. Right. Right. And and therefore the individual roles that have been accomplished 
that have been completed to accomplish that redemption is still all a part of God's will. Right. And that is his glory. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so the Son doesn't have a different will other than fulfilling what needs to be fulfilled so that God's glorified. The Holy mm-hmm. Spirit doesn't have any other will other than fulfilling his functions right. of glorifying himself through the redemption. Right. Now. Right. But they are but still that's distinct. All, that's all around redemption of man. What happened well before there was yeah. man? What's going to happen yeah. when... Right. So it can... But so we have the answer. God is unchangeable. Right. He has never changed. He is the same yesterday but this, today and forever. And so if today... So, but he's not going to have the, the will of redemption when we've all been redeemed. Sure. But that doesn't mean that, that, that those... those Things have changed. Right. So but then that's not true. Then God isn't the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's different now than he was before creation, and then he'll change in terms of his roles after. So what the the distinguishment there is that like what we see in God's creating and his all of his acts within creation can reflect who he is and his in his eternity. But that doesn't like and this is something we talked about the first, there's the difference between the economic life and the imminent life in that in the eternal sense God has always been and he like if we say that everything that he is in creation equals who he is outside creation that also means that like in order for God to be father son and spirit he had like, he had to create so i guess like the challenge would be trying to describe father son and holy spirit without you, you, without us and yeah. the creation, try to describe them before we were before we even ever existed, before He created us, because those things existed before then, right? Yeah. We understand that He created us out of His desire to do so. He did not need to create us, so right. like the the challenge would be, you know, to try to explain that without using us. Yeah. Because right Everything. now, how right. you're describing right. it is all about us. Yeah, you're yeah. saying like you're redeemed, and since we were created, yeah. and do you see that? Sure, I'm saying? Yeah. sure. But I, I guess the, I guess my point is, is there is an us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. But there was a point when there wasn't. I, I understand. Yeah. <clears throat> but there is, yeah. and so therefore, with what we have, and we've been given scripture mm-hmm. to point us to Him and try to understand who He is. Right. right. And 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 I guess my sticking point too is is Joshua's yeah. point of God's unchangeableness. Right. So, if in God's unchangeableness, in 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 who He is to um, fulfill the story of redemption, is having there be three distinctions and three roles, mm-hmm. right? Then there's always been three roles within the God, and there will always will be three roles within the God. Yep. So. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Isn't it also technically possible that since our understanding of the Trinity and the three parts of the Trinity is not full... It's not three parts. Sorry, not three parts. <laughs> 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 that was more of a joke. Then. I know what you're trying to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the three persons of the Trinity yep. um, is not full. Isn't it possible that God has only shown us what we a part of each, who each person is in the Trinity and not the full part, and so that he showed us what we need to understand for how that relates to our redemption and us. Mm-hmm. But there's other parts that maybe like we're like maybe he only showed us 
this is just for example a third of what yeah. each person really is mm. and that relates to who he is as eternally and that way his purpose each purpose maybe Jesus does have the will for redemption but that's not it right, right. So that's so, his only yeah. yeah and therefore yeah. there is purpose for eternity right so again we're we can we can only talk about God based off of what we have seen from him right in his relation to us in creation. So what is happening here in some way reveals who he is eternally. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that we can say everything that he is. That's he is. will always only be somewhat speculation because we have right. only, we right. only this side of understanding right. of God. Yes. So we can sit here and speculate all right. we want and we can probably argue until our right. faces right. But the truth is we don't know right. and this is all exactly. Right. And I think it's, yeah. it's helpful to say we don't know yeah. how they relate to each other outside of creation. Right. Because we have no information or basis right. on that. Right. We can say there's going to be some sort of relational because we see that here and he's unchanging. But how that is outside of creation, pre or you know, along the line of yeah. Um, we just don't know. Yeah. We we can say we would assume there's still distinct roles and how they relate yeah. to each other, but how that is outside of creation, we, it's, we don't know. Yeah. We do know, like, so that's where we kind of lean on what can we say, and we can say that all three are fully God, all three are co-equal, all three are worthy of praise, mm-hmm. right? And so those are things we can say, and that's. Unfortunately, what we have to do right now is just lean on the things that we can say and trust that, like, the things that we can't quite understand yet, like, still also make, like, eternally make sense, even if they don't quite, even if we can't quite grasp those things here. And this, so this is really funny because this is exactly the debate that's going on is, like, within Christian circles is, well, that just because we, because we see it here, does that mean that that is what all there is? Or is, is, does that reflect exactly what's happening in terms of a, a submission and authority between the three? Or is it only a reflection of what this actually is? Any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, does it matter, right? right? Like, whether the son eternally submits to the father, I'm never going to know that on this side yeah. of heaven. I just yeah. don't have the brain capacity to, to know that. Right. Nor does it affect how I worship right. the Trinity and I submit to the Son and you know and I listen to the Holy Spirit. I think it's a good, I think it's fun to have that conversation and like stretch your brain and mm-hmm. think about it. But it doesn't affect my salvation, right? It's not necessarily well, something to. So it's interesting because some people on the non-ESF EFS side <laughs> would say that it can have some implication because there are three different wills between the three, um, which, so that's, that's like, again, there's, there's this conversation going, whereas like Grudem would say, it doesn't matter. Right. Like it, it's, it doesn't affect us. And so, but so there's this, yes, exactly. And so this is, I'm, I'm bringing this more up as like, this is a debate that's happening that I don't, I don't have the capacity to be able to tell you if, someone's right or wrong. But there is conversation going on both sides. And I think it's great that there is conversation because it's probably somewhere in the middle. 
just like all of our conversations. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm interested in that. In, in, well, first of all, I, I, at this point, I always like to cite um, First Corinthians, um, verse, uh, chapter 13 hmm. and verse 12. Yep. It says, "Now we see in part." Spirit and the Son are not in the background 
as like the, it's a one divine will where they're all and it's just like he's talking about the different distinguishments between us or is it is he saying like the father knows things that I don't know would is kind of the question right. like is that and so it's what is he so, yeah I don't I don't think I don't think that yeah. <laughs> but I but I do think kind of just just generally that that there is distinction and distinction enough that that there is some sort even even though um, the son fully knows who is mm-hmm. it's the father who's the one who's picking fully knows what it it takes to go to the cross but now as a man maybe doesn't want to but he but he knows and so there's there's still that that distinction still fully God right but and that's part of the you know um, we only know part part, in that asterisk right Right. Um, but but I I, I, it's it's part of that that blending of of what we do know Um, but I I, I agree I don't think it diminishes who the son is because as fully God he's still then obeying fully right right and even talks about you know obeying even to the point of death right right father didn't do that right through the Holy Spirit right Jesus did right Distinction within the Trinity. Right. Yeah. So there is. Yeah. But, but, but he knew. Right. I don't think. I don't think any. It was like wait, 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 what? <laughs> yeah. I don't think right. there was like that kind of. I didn't right. sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it is, and we're actually we're gonna get to kind of seeing his how the distinctions and the economic life and how that could might reflect this imminent life thing in some way. And so I think we'll we'll kind of touch on that a little bit more too. So this is good. Uh, did you say, is it Godfrey, right? It, it's Dale. Dale, sorry. Uh, did you have anything else to say? I'm sorry. Because I remember, like, right when... would say no that there's not an independent will that the father also knows but that that intercession is somehow in relation to us specifically like how because like jesus lived that life for us like lived the perfect life for us right died and rose and like took on the payment for us that we might receive his righteousness and his intercession somehow I think has more in relation to us than that could mean that there's some sort of independent will between him and the father specifically because the father's so we'll get to the economic like the, the that I think that there's a lot of great stuff there but that, that's it's a great no no I, I I think no I, I love this is I love this kind of this is the conversation that's happening right and it's kind of helping us to and to kind of go back God doesn't need us to pray God knows what's going on but we're still called to pray, right? And it's not because God's sitting there going, right? He doesn't need that. He just he, he calls us to pray yeah. 
So to show, because that's more for us, right? That is me saying, I am not an independent being. I am fully dependent, so I need to pray. Even though God's not sitting there going, I have no idea what you need, Kristen. Like, I know exactly what you're going through. I know know better what your heart is than you do. But I need you to cry out to me. So, like, I don't think God's sitting there going, okay, Jesus, what's going on down there? I need you to tell me. He knows it. He's just... You, like there's still there's just this dependence and there's relationship. Yeah, yeah, there's relationship. Yeah, there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, kind of like. Yeah. And even with thinking of intercession, like intercession in the sense like Jesus is our great high priest. The great high priest went and interceded on behalf of the, or the, the, the priest went right. It's the, and it's that same kind of idea, but now like Jesus is the perfect. priest, the perfect priest who. Like who's atoned for our sins eternally, and not just going to the to God consistently on our behalf. And he's all he can also perfectly sympathize with us because he was man, you know. And so I think I would say I would lean towards, and I think where most people would lean towards is that it's not a separate will so much as it somehow like helps us understand how we can relate to God in this within this distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit. But we're going to keep going because I think there's there's more to this conversation and, and it's it's great. But um, what we see uh, ultimately is that within God's imminent life between within the relation between Father and Son is that Jesus, being from the Father, demonstrates a pattern in Scripture where the Father sends the Son to accomplish the work of salvation. Right? Jesus is somehow from the Father and he's sent from like, by God um, into creation. Well, we're going to hit on that more. So. Um, I think let's table that conversation for a second and keep moving. Um, it, it's already 9:30. <laughs> how about we? How about we finish the imminent conversation and then we'll talk about how it relates to us next week because um, there's so much there. Um, it's great. All right. So relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son eternally. So this is again not just a proceeding because of creation. Right, he proceeds from them eternally. Um, you can see that both in John 15:26 and Galatians 4:6. Now, uh, if we go back to the Nicene Creed, which is at the beginning uh, of the packet, the Nicene Creed, the first time when they wrote it, the original draft, which is that first one, this is on the front page, says if you skip down towards. Um, Let's see here. So do you guys see homoousian with the Father? by who? So this is talking about Jesus, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, for us men and for our salvation. Jesus came down and was incarnate and was uh, made man. He suffered and on the third day rose again and ascended into heaven, and thence he shall come to judge quick, uh, the quick and the dead and the Holy Ghost. And they don't say anything about, but then, sorry, I guess we'll skip down to the next one. So just it says, and the Holy Ghost in the first one. And in the second one, it says, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. It doesn't say anything about proceeding in the first one. And actually, there's another, there's another creed between these two called the Constantinopolian Creed, which says that Jesus only proceeded from the Father. And now there's 
in the, the one that we all consider to be the Nicene Creed today, it says both from the Father and the Son. This is actually, there has been a debate within the church, capital C church, about if Jesus, or if the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, or just the Father. And this is such a big deal that the Eastern Orthodox Church actually split from the Western Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church at the time, and now is kind of, which is where all of our uh, like denominations would come from the Western side. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church believes that the Spirit only proceeds from the Father. This is a, um, it's called the, the, the clause that was added is, and from the Son, the filioque clause, I think that's what it, what it is. Um, sorry, this is going back to. Um, the Western Church um, sees that the Spirit is not just the Spirit of the Father, but also like Jesus sends the Spirit, right? Um, he's the Spirit of Christ at Pentecost. Jesus is the one who's sending the Spirit. And so it seems like there's some sort of relation where the Spirit doesn't just come from the Father, but also comes from the Son. Um, and the evidence in Scripture points to that being the case as opposed to the Spirit just proceeding from the Father. But there's also um, this thing of if he only proceeds, if the Spirit only proceeded from the Father, Jesus is united to the Father by the Spirit. And so if he doesn't, if Jesus doesn't send the Spirit, are we united to the Father as well? If he's only sent from the Father. That's a big theological question that, again, we I wish we had more time to talk about. But what our church believes and what the whole of Western church now believes is that like the Son is sent by both the Father, or the Spirit is sent by both the Father and the Son. And there's some sort of, so, and although he's being sent by two persons, it's from the same source because they are the same essence or substance or nature. So it's not that he's, it's, um, there's still unity there in that sending. Um, and again, this is, um, uh, actually, uh, the word spirit in scripture could be translated as breath. And so the spirit could be considered as this like breathing out from the father and the son. And it is the same because the father and the son are the same nature. And so that's how, if you have questions about that, that clause, there's actually, um, I, we could talk more about that. I think I'll, I'll bring a, I think there, we can add to that kind of conversation next week because there's more to say about it. Um, I think it'll be helpful to understand more. Um, because I think it's, it actually does have some implication in our spiritual life um, to think of the Spirit proceeding from both Father and Son as opposed to just the Father. And then same thing with these distinctions in the economic life. We'll talk about that next week. And if we have time, we'll hopefully talk about how, those, um, distinct, how these distinctions within God's economic life aid in our spiritual life and how we can... Uh, how we can actually apply that to our own spiritual life and hopefully enrich our spiritual life as well. So thank you guys for your time. This was a wonderful conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and I'll see you next week. So, right. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So we're starting at like 6 a.m.